The Lord God is at work. Uh, you know, he never stopped. Jesus said his father had been working from the beginning and is still working. You know what? He's still working. He's still working today. And this is a very special Sunday. We're going to continue into the book of Acts, but we're going to look at it a little differently. Before I read the passage, I just want to remind you of the context of what happened. Peter, who was one of the the 12 disciples that followed Jesus Christ, he was one of the leaders in the church. He went to uh, a town and, and he's having to travel and teach all these new believers. And while he is in the, at the, in the, um, uh, the, the home of Simon the Tanner, good grief, the name wouldn't come for a second, he had a vision of a sheep coming down and there was all kinds of animals in there and God told him, get up and eat. Because, you know, Peter was hungry. He's waiting for lunch to get finished or to to finish cooking. He says, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. Um, God had to tell him three times. And then Peter finally understood the vision. God was saying, what I have called clean, do not call unclean. And last week, Pastor John was really sharing with us that As believers, we're part of one family. We are included in the family of God. We're part of one church. No matter what your denomination or tradition, if you are a true follower of Jesus Christ, we are one body. And Peter was preaching this, and we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 10, And we're going to begin reading with verse 44. Actually, I'm going to throw verse 43 in there because one of the things that Peter was trying to stress to him, um, to all the people, that to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness. Everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. That was the preceding sentence to the passage we're going to read. Now, in Acts chapter 11, verse 44, it says, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. And they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Here it was a time where Peter is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes and fills them. And then Peter says, well, if they've been filled with the Holy Spirit, maybe we ought to baptize them. Who who, who are we to say, no, they can't be baptized? As Pastor John was sharing last week to the Jewish people, there were Jews, there were non-Jews, the Jews are God's people, those are outside, that's it, you're not God's people. Here's some, they're not God's people, but suddenly they're God's people. They've got the Holy Spirit. What happened? (laughs) Carolyn just said, thank you, Lord, because that's us. How many people here are from a Jewish background? 
We have one. Carolyn says maybe a drop. Yeah, I think someone in her family found 7%, something like that, when they did a DNA test. We're the outsiders, most of us. We're the ones that weren't part of the family. And then all of a sudden, here we're included with God's people. And something that happened two weeks ago when, when I was preaching for Easter, and I said something about Pastor John giving a great summary of the gospel the week before. A very, very dear friend of ours wrote a question and said, how can you summarize the gospel when it's so complex? I thought that was a really awesome question. Because how do we really summarize it? How, how, how do we tell the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because all of the Bible is the gospel. In fact, all of creation declares who God is. So all of creation is the gospel. Our relationship to one another is part of the gospel. How do we summarize that? What's well, really hard? A lot of students here, and you have to read those articles for your dissertation or for your thesis, and you go to that first part of the article, and you have that abstract, and you read, and it gives you just enough information for you to say, I want to read the rest of this article or not. And sometimes when I say we present the gospel or we share the gospel, it's really what I'm meaning. We give just enough information that people can think, do I want to know more or not? No, we can't explain everything about God in one setting. It's impossible. Can we ever explain everything about God? It doesn't matter how long we talk. We can't do that but we can share the message in a way that others can understand. And how we do that, I believe, is very important. Now, how many have seen the Lord of the Rings movies? How many? Okay, most people, if you haven't seen the Lord of the Rings, it's like uh, to Tolkien's uh, books, the, uh, the Lord of the Rings, the, you know, is the Fellowship of the Rings, the... Something, the last one was the, the, the King Returns, or I can't remember the title, The Return of the King. Now, how many would want to go see that movie if you said something like, short dude takes ring, throws in fire? <laughs> well, nobody wants to see that. I mean, that's okay. Well, we could give a little more information. Short dude has a lot of problems taking ring to throw in fire. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, nobody wants to see that. But if I tell you, it is an epic battle of good versus evil, and a little guy called a hobbit, who's just a small little man, he takes and he struggles, and he goes, and he saves the whole world by destroying the ring that controls evil. Now, who wants to see that movie? Okay, yeah, that's a little more. Well, how we present it makes a difference. But there's also times where we proclaim the gospel visually, we act it out. And that is what baptism is. Here they are, the Holy Spirit comes, falls on them, and 
Peter's already said earlier in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 5, verse 32, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. If we follow God, we have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit falls on the group. It's a sign they've truly believed. These people have repented. They have just heard the message. They heard the message to who... Um, to excuse me, to everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. They just heard that. And then all of a sudden, here comes the Holy Spirit. Something happened in their hearts. We don't know. Did they stop, pray, get down on their knees? All we know is Peter's still preaching, and these people are filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, well, let's baptize them. Well, what does baptism mean? Why was it so important that they did it immediately? It's the same church service. They never left. They're in the living room. You got to remember, they're sitting in the living room. And it's the same proclamation, same day. Well, the baptism is an identifying thing with Christ. We identify with Christ and his death, his burial, and his resurrection. It's an identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It shows what has happened in our hearts. The old man is dead, the old man is buried, and we are raised up again as new creatures or new creation in Jesus. It's an acted out message. It is an acted out proclamation. It is also a following in obedience to what Christ had commanded. One of the things maybe we don't stress enough is how we as believers need to die to ourselves. If we look in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6 is the most quoted book during baptisms, at least in Protestant circles. But if we look at Romans chapter 6 verse 2, it is talking about that we who have died to sin, how can we who have died to sin still live in it? Okay, we died to sin. We also look at, at verse 6 in the same chapter. We know that the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer be enslaved to sin. Thing of it is, we die to ourselves. We die to sin. The old person is crucified. And then verse 4, look at verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That verse is quoted at almost every Protestant baptism, that, everyone that I've seen, because that's the heart of what it means. At the same time, we are proclaiming Jesus Christ. We are following in obedience, but it is an acted out sermon. It is a message of what Christ has done for us. And I intentionally used visual proclamation because to proclaim is to say. But it's visual. We see it. So we're proclaiming Christ, his work in our lives to the whole world around us. 
it's a short summary of the gospel. <laughs> it's not the whole gospel. It's not everything people need to know, but it is a summary. It's an acting out of the gospel that we see, the death, the burial, the resurrection. We see the old man die, buried, and raised again to live for Jesus Christ. It is acted out. Now, in the Protestant churches, there are two ordinances that we have. One is the Lord's Supper. And an ordinance is one of those things we're really supposed to do. One of them is baptism. I said the Lord's Supper. That's coming next. Baptism's one of them. The Lord's Supper is another one that is an acted out message. The Lord's Supper, it's initiated at the Old Testament Passover. Passover, that's when God had led the Jewish people out of slavery, out of Egypt. And the very last of those plagues was the plague of death, where the firstborn would die if they did not slaughter the lamb, put the blood on the doorpost, and then eat that lamb that night. Uh, they couldn't even leave any of it for the next day. There's no leftovers on the day after Passover, at least not out of the lamb, because you had to burn it. If you didn't eat it all, you had to put it in the fire and burn it because it was holy to the God. It, could, it couldn't be left over. And Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And the early church, here's just a side note, they did Lord's Supper and a feast too. It's one of the things when Paul was trying to correct part of what the problems in the Corinthian church, that they weren't, they, they, they weren't waiting for each other. Some people would come and eat all of everything, and they'd bring really good food, and other poor people didn't have any food. And he says, no, when you eat together, wait for one another, that's right in the message of the Lord's Supper. When he is sharing about the Lord's Supper, it is how we care for one another. It is taking care of one another, how we share and, and there's this nice official word called communion that we have, to be in common. It's a common word. Community comes from the same word. That the meal was shared in common. But there was a symbolism that we cannot lose. It symbolizes Christ's redemptive work. Jesus Christ died for us. And the, the, the Lord's Supper is a proclamation of that. You know, when they were sitting there that night and they were eating the bread, if you read in the Old Testament for the Passover, it had to be unleavened bread. That means no yeast. And that means it was basically flour and water paste that they baked and if you ever get to eat Passover with a Jewish family, be careful. You may break your teeth on this bread. You know, when Jesus said, you know, the one that dips the, the, the morsel in the wine with me, that's the one that's going to betray me. They had to actually soak this stuff in wine to be able to eat it. It was so hard. I mean, it was, it was an unleavened bread. Because the leaven, God used the, the yeast, the, the symbol of the yeast, that would penetrate the bread and it would affect the whole loaf. And he was using that to symbolize sin. So unleavened bread was used to show that we 
uh, that, that the people were sinful and they needed to eliminate the sin in their life. But it also taught the sinlessness of Jesus Christ, that he did not sin. He is the unleavened bread for us. Now today, we're using not only unleavened, it's also gluten-free. So if you have a problem, um, I didn't know until this weekend, we have some people who have some very serious health issues that say, no, it's absolute no leaven. It is no leaven. Gluten, excuse me. Oh, it's unleavened too. It's made with three ingredients, corn flour, millet flour, and salt. I mean, that's it, and water. That, that's it. That's all that's in it. Uh, because, one, we wanted everybody to be able to take part. That even if you have a health problem that, that we did, we've done everything we can. But we also, me personally, I wanted to reflect on the sinlessness of Jesus Christ. So as we were talking about it as pastors, it's like, well, what bread are we going to use? What is it? It was Manda that pointed out, we've got people that absolutely no leaven. Okay, we need, no, no gluten. I'm sorry. No gluten. So it's like, okay, we're good. That's what we're going to do. We want to make this where we feel the common bond as much as possible. And so our goal was that everybody can participate. Now, if you have a problem with corn, I'm sorry. <laughs> Just take a little piece. You know, so. But we wanted this to be open to as many people as possible. And something else, as they were sitting there, as we read in the New Testament and in the Gospels, the bread was during, during the meal. They're eating the meal, and he takes out this piece of bread, and he said, this is my body that's broken for you. This is me. But then they finish the meal, and they take the last cup, the one after supper. It's the last one, and during Passover, there are four cups that are passed around with the wine, and it's given to each one. And he takes this last one, and he said, this is my blood that is shed for you. This is it. This is the last one. There's two places in Scripture that tells us specifically it was the last one. It was the one after supper. And that was one of the things that he was telling. He's saying, it's finished. It's done. This is the last sacrifice that needs to be made. It was the last cup. And so today we use that cup to remember the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. This morning we're also using alcohol-free. Uh, some people have had a problem with alcohol in the past. We don't want to be a temptation. I am on a medication that the doctor told me. He said, no alcohol. He said, not even one drop. Do not, because it can have adverse effects. So we're doing alcohol-free. Um, it was white grape juice because that's the only one I could find that was a bio that was all natural and it's dyed red using a little bit of blueberry syrup that was also all natural. So we wanted to be able to include as many people. We didn't want the artificial stuff put in there so that you could take part in, so I could take part in it and not have to be concerned. 
So we want you to remember what that drink means. It's not so important what type of drink we use. It's that we remember what Christ did for us. There is something else. That this, this, during this cup of the Passover, they would quote Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. He said, I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. They were in slavery. If you notice the word Lord there, it should be all caps. I hope it's there. Yeah, it actually should be small caps because it's the actual name of God where we might say, in, in English, we often say Yahweh. They took the consonants of Hebrew and the vowels of the word Adonai, meaning Lord, and combined them and came up with a word called Jehovah. That's where we get that name from. And often we use that, meaning the name of God. But here, what Jesus is saying in that passage, he said, this is my blood. This is me. Right there, he's claiming that he is Jehovah God in that statement. It is a cry of his deity pouring himself out. It is God the Son emptying himself, giving his life to redeem us back to himself. Paying the price for our sin. And on that night that he was betrayed, on that night when he held the last Passover that he was going to have, he commanded his disciples to continue holding the Lord's Supper to proclaim his death until he returns. Now, has Jesus come back yet? Despite a lot of people out there who claim to be him, <laughs> despite a lot of people out there that claim he's already come back, um, I don't think so. So we still want to proclaim his death. But see, we're acting out the message. We are acting out his death. We are remembering what he sacrificed for us. It's a very short summary of the gospel. Christ died for us. And we remember that today. It's a visual proclamation of his death. Now, I know this morning, I actually don't know how many different countries. Maybe, we, maybe that'd be a good thing, John, that we just find out how many countries. I'm not sure uh, what you had planned for that next part, but it's amazing. But we are also from a lot of different traditions in our churches and a lot of different ways to hold the Lord's Supper or the communion service. And there's a lot of them where it becomes ritual to where they don't really think about it. It's just something they do. To those who really don't even do it, some of you will come from a tradition where you believe that the bread becomes the literal body of Christ. Where we believe, and I'm teaching this morning, that it's a symbol of the body of Christ. 
Some of you believe it's a literal, in your tradition that says it's literal blood, where I say it's a symbol of Christ's blood. No matter which tradition you're from, if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, we invite you to take part. You do not have to be from the same tradition or the same denomination we are. But if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you have decided to follow him, we invite you to be part of the Lord's Supper this morning. The tradition, one of the traditions in the church where I grew up, it was very similar. We had separate plates for the bread and the little, little, littler cups for the grape juice. There was something our church would do that, that I always remember to this day. When the usher, or we always had deacon serve, would hand you the tray, then that person would hand it to the next person, and the person who received the tray would then serve the one that just handed it to them, and on and on and on. Because our pastor always wanted to stress the service of one another. That as Christ came and served and gave his life, we're to give and to serve one another. And that was something that was part of our tradition that I grew up in. Went to college and found out, you know what? Not everybody does that. Some traditions, you come forward and you pick it up. It's kind of hard in a building our size to do that. We might try it sometime in the future. This morning, Pastor John and I are going to, to get to serve you personally that we wanted, as we were talking about, okay, who should serve? One of the things we came up with, we want to be able to demonstrate the servanthood, that we are servants of God to serve you. That We're called to serve one another. So this morning, this week, or, or this time, excuse me, we're going to be able to serve you. And we want to be able to say by our actions, acting out, we're servants of God serving his church. That's one of the things that, that for this morning. But one of the other things we want to think about as we prepare our hearts before the Lord, we want to really, really, really focus on who he is. We also want to stress that this is open to all who've made a commitment to Jesus Christ. You are free. Now, if you feel like, no, this is not a tradition that you want to take part of, or this is not, we're not going to judge you for that. We're not saying, well, you really should have. It's between you and God. Whether you take the bread or the juice, it's between you and God and what you believe is right and how you reflect him the best. So it's open to all. But one of the things we should all do is examine ourselves to ensure we're taking it seriously. That is one of the things that we sometimes miss was that we're proclaiming Christ's uh, death for us. In a few minutes, Pastor John's going to read a passage out of 1 Corinthians I'm going to read the passage that comes just after what he's going to be sharing as we're doing the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 30. 
So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. That church had lots of problems. And disrespecting the things of God was one of them. They were disrespecting it. And they weren't honoring God's death or Christ's death for us. They weren't honoring the sacrifice that was made. And Paul said it's serious because you're proclaiming the death of Jesus Christ to the whole world. The whole world's watching you to see. It's memory for us, but it's also proclamation to others. So as we come to the time of invitation, there's three things that uh, uh, I want to stress in, in uh, response to God's message. Number one is examine your relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you truly a follower of the Lord Jesus? Have you come to that point in your heart where you've said, yes, I'm following him? That's first and foremost. That is the most important decision you're ever going to make in your whole life. Are you following Christ or not? But also, it's a time of prayer for cleansing. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even believers We missed the mark. And so the invitation before we hold the Lord's Supper is a time where we pray and we prepare our own hearts. And part of that may be just taking some time to reflect on Christ's sacrifice while we're singing about it. If you need, just take some time. In that invitation time, if you need to just kneel at your seat or you want to come and kneel up here you are free to do that pastor john's going to be in the back i'm going to be here if you want us to pray with you we will be glad to do that we're actually honored and thrilled to get to pray with you and to stand with you as you're seeking god that's one of the things that we want you to take this time and it's just you And God, let's stand. Heavenly Father, as we sing this song of praise, may it be in our hearts a true invitation to enter your presence as your child. Help us to see and to reflect on your greatness, your goodness and your sacrifice for us. In Jesus' name, amen.